0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Mike Janicek Show. Welcome, Vince.
1: Hello, Mike.
0: You look a little frazzled. Thank you for joining us again. Well, I wouldn't want to miss this show. Senator no, Marshall. you wouldn't, especially since you had the philosophical, technical issues you wanted to cover, which uh, I don't even remember at this point. I wanted to get into the conversation with our first guest, Dr. Goyette, who's, <laughs> who's returning again. He'll straighten
1: you out. <laughs> he will,
0: and I want, I want to get into some, some applications here in the, uh, in, the, in the world of the common good. But we're back again on the Mike Janicek Show. Merry Christmas to all next week. Wednesday. It's coming. Um, I think they would have been better served just listening to the Carmelite Nuns for the next hour. That was beautiful. (laughs) That's a good point. It is a good point. Um, So anyway, let's get started on the program. We have a lot to cover. Uh, We have an interesting guest on the second segment as well. Uh, Dana, I'm going to have to figure out the pronunciation of that name too. Dana Goye. (laughs)
1: Like, <laughs> Good luck. We had all the G- Well, we're G- going to be people. talking
0: about some Catholic literature, and uh, that that's going to be an interesting, interesting segment as well. So anyway, let's get started with Dr. John Goyette. We'll do a brief introduction because we've had him on last week, or a couple weeks ago, I guess it was. Yeah. But uh, Dr. Goyette is a tutor at Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California, and has a PhD in philosophy from the Catholic University of America, and editor-in-chief and contributor to a volume of essays on natural law entitled St. Thomas Aquinas and the natural law tradition. And we welcome back to the program, Dr. John Goyette.
1: Dr. Goyette, thank you for joining us again.
2: Thanks for having me back.
1: Glad glad, glad to have you, actually. And I, I remember when we left off, we were talking about your article on the transcendence of the common good. Um, and a couple of issues that we didn't, I think, get very clear and wanted to come back to. Um, what I uh, Remember is the importance of the distinction between uh, the common good being an intrinsic good and it being an instrumental good. And I've read some some articles in First Things and and Christ's other places talking about these this this topic. But there seems to be a pretty common understanding of the common good as something merely instrumental that um, serves, I guess, ultimately then private. Goods um, or the private good, the good of individuals, um, and the other thing was, uh, what are the limits of of claiming something promotes the common good? So we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. But first, why why the distinction between in, in, intrinsic good and, and instrumental good for this?
2: Well, let's see. The the distinction is important because it's it's a it's a common misconception that the political common good is merely an instrumental good. That is, it it, it provides. Um, goods that are essential and are in common because they're shared by all citizens, Um, but but reducing the common good to, say, safety. You know, you need a police force. uh, You need need a military force to prevent um, danger from without. Uh, You need maybe uh, laws that govern uh, the marketplace, that provide for a stable economy, um, that punish crime of one citizen against another. Um, but but sees the common good finally as limited to just those things and doesn't doesn't think about the common good as promoting the full life of virtue that is happiness. Uh, and for for Aquinas, um, the political common good finally includes all the moral virtues, at least the the virtues understood on the natural level. So we're not talking about necessarily the supernatural virtues, but all the natural virtues. Um, the life of the of, of virtue according to all the natural virtues is a kind of happiness what he will call temporal happiness distinguishing that from from eternal happiness um so the, so the idea with Aquinas is it's not just that the government is concerned with limited goods that are instrumental towards the life of happiness that's pursued privately say in your family or in, in private associations but rather, the, the the aim of government is to promote the full life of virtue.
1: The well, there's okay. That opens a lot of doors. Boy, and one of them <laughs> is that if the if the end, if the proper end of government is happiness, it's certainly not the happiness of the government that we're talking about therefore the common good is in fact instrumental to the promotion to maximizing the happiness probably in terms of utils if i go back to macroeconomics um and uh, of the individuals in the society what's wrong with that argument why why is well it- here's the thing when when we talk about the
2: common good as as happiness uh, we we certainly don't mean that uh we cert- we certainly do mean that that the happiness we're talking about is the happiness of individual men um when we when we call it common what we mean is the individual men participate in a larger life that that's the life of the whole community but the happiness is is, is enjoyed by those individuals but the happiness is, is common because it's a common life of virtue.
1: Okay. Well, you think
2: about, say, a, a basketball team or a football team. Um, each individual player is doing their own thing, but, but what they're doing is part of a larger, a larger effort, a larger activity. They're, they're playing uh, a game in common together, and the goods that, that they achieve are shared in common as well. So if they, if they win, they all share in, in the victory um, and the activity that they pursue to to attain victory, that's shared in common as well. But it's not as if you say, "Well, the team enjoys victory, but not the individual players."
1: No, the no, players no, enjoy the. I'm 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 reading some philosophers writing on this stuff, Thomists, and and one of the points being made is is that uh, the one of the qualities or characters of the common good is that it benefits both both the collective and the individuals and it's um, wh- what do we call I- infinitely divisible, I guess the more the the participants take of the common good the the more everyone gains of it as opposed to losing and so like if we promote justice as a common good, the more I individually participate in promoting justice in the community, the more everyone benefits by by that promotion in myself and everyone else included. As distinct from I uh, contribute apples and, and we share an apple and if anybody takes some of it, there's less of it for everybody else. Is that a proper distinction?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. That seems right to me. Okay. Um,
1: and so that's that means necessarily then the common good itself, particularly, is an immaterial thing. Correct. Okay. That's right. May your humble host interject a question. Oh, oh, are you on the show? Well, (laughs) uh,
0: Dr. Goyette proposed an interesting metaphor, which might be easier for me to describe what I'm trying to say, and far be it for me to uh, at all in any way challenge Aquinas. But I have a problem with this government unless the government is not rightly defined or rightly understood. And here's my point. Back when I was a young man and uh, able to do so, we used to have a number of uh, pickup basketball games uh, between family and friends and neighbors. Where uh, we, because uh, obviously solidarity with one another's family members and so forth, uh, we had a lot more charity. And when we played basketball, I would call my own fouls, for example. I guess my point here is if individuals are living the full life of Christ and expressing all of their activities out of charity is government even necessary oh my gosh
1: (laughs) i can take that absolutely this the whole point of concupiscence is that somebody has to supervise these processes we have a hierarchy in society like we have all sorts of other hierarchies in the church of moral values yada yada and so mike there's there there are places that have been close to less than I'm talking I'm talking government. philosophically
0: obviously the oh, fall. But a government
1: is necessary but you're getting sidetracked here the no I'm not we happened happen, this happened last time is it is it getting down the principles... man I'm already getting smacked is more important than than applying them I think <laughs> at, at least no no, for no now. but this
0: is a principle and Aquinas is saying that the, the government is not just an instrumental
1: carrier of the common good it is. It's an intrinsic good in itself, yes. Yeah. And, and so, but, and so but the question is, is, how is that? We well, haven't gotten we, there yet. Okay. We don't want to say the
2: government is the good. We're saying right. government is ordered towards a common good. So right. The government itself is, is, is instrumental. Laws are instrumental. But those are instrumental towards a kind of common life. So the common good is the common life.
1: Which, um, the we don't philosoph- want to say whatever
2: government functions are. We don't want to say that's necessarily... The common good, but it's ordered towards the common
1: good. Okay, and okay, so, thank you. Philosophically, we're trying to discern what is this end or purpose. What's the what's the aim of government? And it is the common good. I mean, I, we can get that far politically, but understanding exactly what that means takes a little more uh, uh, discernment, perhaps. One of the things we've established, I think, is that the common good is immaterial. Okay. The the next mm-hmm. thing and 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 divisible. This is related to it that when participants in the community partake of the common good, there isn't less of it. There's more of it.
2: That's right. Yeah. So in other uh, words, if if the common good is the common life of virtue, uh, the more I act virtuously or excellently in in community, the more others are encouraged in living that same life. So what what I do has an influence on what you do. And,
1: and they enjoy the fact that you act properly. Correct. Yeah, everyone... You're not uh, stealing it, their stuff. <laughs> and it can leave right, their- if
2: you're living... If you're truly virtuous, you delight in in, in virtuous actions. So you see what what um, what your neighbor does, and you see that's a good thing, and you delight in it. That's why we we praise the courage of soldiers on the battlefield.
1: Is that's why we erect
2: statues to public benefactors. So we we recognize excellence.
1: Right, um, and and so your example earlier of the soldiers protecting yada yada, the the hiring of soldiers, the building of missiles, and all that stu- sort of stuff the that that those are public goods those are uh, not so much the soldiers their employees but but the but the property of war those are public goods they're owned by the government but that doesn't explain why the government should have any goods at all any public goods at all what explains that is the purpose of government is to promote the common good and their ownership of public goods is in the service of that end am i right yeah that's right Okay, and so that the, that leads us. I'll look appropriately timed, as a matter of fact, to to the second question: When when we expect the government to be promoting the common good, do we circumscribe the activities to to those things necessary to promote the common good? How far does it go? What are the, what are the limits of this claiming that something is? Oh, this is for the common good. Um, I have an article sitting here from where is this uh, the first Clinton uh, era uh, written by a Jesuit and I, I don't find it right off but but saying that health care for everyone is a part of the common good that we need to provide health care to everybody um, I, first of all healthcare is material um, and, and uh, the, the but the question is how do we philosophically or even political uh theory uh, derive some limits for what is promoting the common good
2: well let's see the first, I think the place to start is to think first of all that um, the political community is part of a larger providential order that God has established mm-hmm. um, and so you have to you have to see where it's situated and i think um I think the political community is, in a way, limited both uh, from above and from below. What I mean by that is um, the political community is ordered towards temporal happiness, but that's finally not the highest end. Um, the highest end, the most perfect common good, is is the common good of the city of God. Amen. So, So first of all, any political order that closes itself closes itself off to the supernatural common good or closes itself off to the truth of revelation um is defective
0: libertarians and
2: <laughs> and so so if if you have a political order that tries to infringe upon someone's uh natural right to to worship god and to pursue uh, say the Christian life, because the the Christian life is 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 revealed to us by God as the right as the right life and ordered towards supernatural beatitude. Then that political order would be, um, in a way, usurping uh, authority that goes beyond its its power.
0: Render unto um,
2: Caesar. So so there you have an instance where the political common good, in a way, is limited. From above because there are higher things than the political order but it's also limited um, from below when when you think about the common good the common good is meant finally uh, to promote individuals and smaller communities to pursue the good life it's meant it's meant to help so it's not meant to sort of absorb or to destroy or to take over Smaller functions or 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 functions of smaller communities, so which takes us back to we we spoke uh, last time about subsidiarity and one thing I think that's important to keep in mind is subsidiarity sometimes is understood to mean um, well if you have something that could be done at a higher level or it could be done at a lower level it's it's better to let the low man on the totem pole uh, have a share and be able to do things that's that's certainly true but it's also important to keep in mind that there are certain functions that can only be carried out at a lower level. So that um, a proper notion of subsidiarity entails a recognition that the chibitas, the political community, contains individual members and in smaller communities that have their own proper goods, their own gifts, uh, and their own functions that can't be um, replaced by uh, the political, by the political order by the state. So you think about something like raising children. Um, Mm -hmm. Raising children is not something that, well, the state can do that fine, but we're going to let families do it because it's good to let the lower order have a share.
3: Very good. Very (laughs) good. The the,
2: the, the government can't replace uh, families raising children. So any kind of um, uh, law or overreach of government that would try to abolish the family um, or to try to – Interfere in, in the sort of the, the the private life of the family would be overstepping uh, its proper uh, proper authority.
0: Okay, let me let me let me barge in here, Vincent. If you'll forgive me for getting too practical, what <laughs> what, what then about taxes? I mean, uh, the first fruits of one's labor are taken immediately by local municipalities, uh, and, sales and taxes, federal, national, state, national, etc.
1: And that becomes what's known as a public good. They own cash.
0: So, I mean, that is, that is a direct and very tangible interference, I think, with family life is to come in and, and tell a man who's busted his chops all week that uh, the first 35 percent is not his.
2: Well, I mean, you do have to recognize that, that individuals and families um, benefit by participating in the political community. Correct And there are certain it's a matter of justice reluctantly, they, but yes <laughs> so it's a matter of justice that that they contribute towards towards that community, um, and part of that is a material contribution um, so I, I don't think taxes are it seems like taxes are a matter of justice that you Absolutely. you might ask, well, how high can they go
0: Th- that,
1: that's what I'm getting at <laughs> yeah well, and, and, and I'm, we can't really resolve that here. No. We, we resolve that on the floor of the legislature. Correct, and it may but not, and we may this, not get it right, but that's our best effort at it.
2: Yeah, certainly, this much is is true, though. I mean, if if the state goes so far as to abolish private property or to abolish the family, um, it would that would be a grave uh, usurpation of a kind of the, the natural authority and the natural good of the family and of private individuals. So, um, so you think about socialism. Um, you know, or Marxism that would try to abolish the family or to abolish private property. I think that would be a clear kind of overstep of the authority of government, because right. what they're doing is rather than taking individuals and in lower communities and, and ordering them towards the full perfection that they're meant to achieve, they're actually destroying uh, right. individual liberty and they're destroying smaller communities. And, and that that's not what government is about.
1: Oh, it's an interesting point about subsidiarity, the 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 subsidium, the un, under under um, supporting. I forget exactly how that uh, translates, but but the the um, idea that uh, that that becomes rubber meets the road is, is how much does the government take away from everybody or some groups, and especially with a complex, extremely complex tax code, it always ends up taking away from some groups, and then. And then how does it promote the common good for the government to give that to some other groups? And a lot of examples come to mind. Okay, Bailout comes to mind. Uh, uh, Social Security comes to mind. Uh, uh, Medicaid, uh, Medicare, uh, and, and health care generally, if we move toward this Obamacare model. Uh, these, these things are all private goods that the government is confiscating tax and redistributing in various ways. Meanwhile, taking off its cut, of course. But uh...
2: yeah, well, if, if, if you think about Catholic social teaching, I mean, there's a helpful distinction to be made there. That um, I th- um, that it's the proper role of government to order men principally towards the good life, the life of virtue. But in order to live that, it does need to take care of certain material goods. And uh, Catholic social teaching maintains that. If someone's in extreme poverty or an extreme need it's it's a matter of justice finally for the whole community to attend to the members that are in extreme need but But the question is what is what is extreme need i mean if you talk about certain things like health care um if you're talking about emergency health care that might be one thing yeah totally. but- mm-hmm. so so you have to you have to make a distinction between. Um, Some in an extreme need, where it's a matter of justice that the, the community take care of the individual in extreme need. Beyond kind of a extreme need, though, we're then moving into the realm of what you would call Christian charity. So right. certainly it's a good thing to foster charity, but, but charity isn't charity unless someone's freely giving, and they're yeah. giving for... You know, for supernatural reasons, for supernatural Ke- motivations.
1: Caritas Ke- is the supernatural motive. The, the charity that we're contemplating here is for love of God and as and as a Christian. Um, but it is our role as individuals. It is our role as a community. It is our role as a church to do that, to do charity, and even to do justice. But it is the role of government to pursue the common good in in. Uh, And some of those ways are limited, it would seem to me. Now, I don't necessarily want the government providing me health care. I don't even want the government providing me food. Um, I don't think that 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 should come from people who have it taken away from them at gunpoint, which is what the government does in the final analysis every time. Um, I would think for myself... As a, as a moral person, that I would go knock on my neighbor's door, or I would go knock on the community center, or I would go knock on the parish church. And, and that just makes sense to me. So I'm not I'm, I'm trying to understand, am I thinking wrong about that?
2: No, I think that's largely right. I mean, I, I thought, although I do think when you're talking about extreme need, that changes things. But for the most part, uh, if someone is in need but not in extreme need, um, it's if you think about the good life um the, the political common good is shared the shared life of virtue it's good for citizens to be generous with each other to share their goods to help those in need and when they do that freely then that's 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 a virtuous activity that's an excellent activity that they're carrying out that's that's different from government sort of taking from from you and giving to someone else because you know that's not necessarily a virtuous action if if you're compelled uh to help your your neighbor in need. So
1: Oh darn, I, think beyond, I can't be Robin Hood. I, I mean, I hate that. I want to go Robin Hood. <laughs> well, listen, you, you're hitting on a But you got, go ahead.
0: Mike. I'm sorry, you're hitting on a a very fascinating point and I'll say it, I'm guilty. Um I look at my tax bill and I'm at a little bit over 50%, 50.8 to be exact. And there there's a tendency even in, in a faithful Catholic to say, you know what? Uh, I've given my share I've given my dying. share yeah well and, look, and, and so I guess the question is uh, do we ever look at the the prospect of as the state grows larger in its mandates but it's uh, beyond do, you impede, it's- do you impede do you impede the individual christian's ability to be charitable totally absolutely you I do. was asking our <laughs> I'm guests. Sorry.
1: well, I think our guest needs <laughs> we, we have three minutes left and and our guest needs to clarify one more thing, I'm sure, and that is you said extreme need. But but there are two elements, I think, to this thing we call extreme need. One of those is the quality, and the other is the duration. And so extreme need that someone gets themselves into, a drug addict that can't support himself, goes on and on and on and on and on. Do we have an obligation to support people who, who refuse to clean up their act for whatever reason and, and want to live off of, for example, Medicaid? Uh, you can't look that. Uh, How about something else? What <laughs> anyway? Well, government I mean, benefits.
2: I think certainly, if you're going to talk about government helping someone who's in in a in a bad way and is in extreme need, and that that might be a drug addict, but it's it's not unreasonable to say if we're going to help you, then then in order uh, in order that to happen you need to you need to you know come clean or participate you know in some yeah. maybe a some kind of drug program and if but you know refuse. kind of a quid, quid pro quo I mean if someone's in a, this is why you you think about someone who's maybe on unemployment you know it's reasonable to say if you're going to receive help then you need to start looking for a job and that might mean taking a job that's not not a job you necessarily want to take um so I think uh you know we we can maybe kind of go to the other extreme by helping people and we don't really expect anything in in return um but we all, I think also we we tend to sort of push the need to the point where we're we're involving the governments involved in all sorts of ways rather than kind of limiting those ways to to cases of extreme need
0: yeah i, I think that's a whole other show <laughs> um <laughs> excellent absolutely <laughs> um dr goyette thank you so much again and uh you've been very clarifying this afternoon on the mike janice well, show
1: okay and anybody who has any thought about learning about the common good needs to read your stuff <laughs> that, that, a- absolutely sine qua <laughs> <known>. <laughs>
0: you need to write a book the common good and start with chapter one uh well
1: oh uh, well <laughs> so Never, appreciate- nevertheless thank you anything else you'd like to toss out there for a listening audience in kentucky
2: um Let's see. Well, you had mentioned on your last show that uh, uh, having uh, maybe kids that want to come to Thomas Aquinas College. We have a great college out here in Southern California. The weather's beautiful, and uh, we pursue the truth here. And uh, so anyone who's interested in, in having their children acquire a true uh, Catholic liberal education should uh, should look us up. Give us a website. The, what's
1: the website? Yeah.
2: Uh, it's uh, www. ThomasAquinas.edu.
0: Man, you got in early on that. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, doctor. Uh, thank you so much again, and have a very Merry Christmas, and keep up the great work. And We'll look for you on uh, First Things, uh, the Catholic thing, and, and, and everywhere else that you need to be okay. seen. God bless you, John. God bless All right. Thank you.
2: Merry Christmas. You too.
0: Uh, Vince, we're going to have to bring him back and get m- more into the practical <laughs> applications of this. Oh, we
1: can do that. We well, gotta, we're in the we tall grass here. A small error in the beginning in the principles leads to all sorts of crazy errors in, in, in the results, okay? And if we can educate the populace in the demos, in the democracy, we can educate the populace on the proper end of government, then we can fix it in the halls of the legislature, but we first have to understand what government is really supposed to no, be doing. No, 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 no. We, we,
0: we first have to win elections.
1: Pray, and that's how you do it by having an educated voting populace.
0: Nothing on Phil Robertson. He's blank. We'll be, we'll be back. back on the Mike Janusik show right after this message. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the Mike Janisick Show.
1: It's your turn to shine. You're the host.
0: <laughs> well, this this is going to be my segment because we're going to deal here with some arts. Um, and I'm kind of an artsy guy. You know me, Ben. I'm, I'm kind of snobby, especially when you're in the music department, which, by Did the you way. you call
1: me Ben? Did I say Ben? Well, did. I'm thinking about it. that
0: that little trio entry you heard yeah, there. A trio from, entry, there it three is. Three Catholic right. kids right. from uh, St. Saint, Saint, uh, Saint, uh, Saint Xavier
1: High School. I, I, I no doubt I'm going to take issue with your guest. Two but juniors go...
0: <laughs> and a sophomore are playing some classic straight-up jazz music. But anyway, before we introduce our next guest, I don't do this very often because I know it's a big no-no on radio. You're not supposed to read anything because Perfect. people <laughs> get boring. But it's short, and I want to read the introductory paragraph of our next guest because I, I think he hits it so out of the park, and I think this will set up the remainder of the segment. For years, I've pondered a cultural and social paradox that diminishes the vitality and diversity of the American arts. This cultural conundrum also reveals the intellectual retreat and creative inertia of American religious life. Stated simply, the paradox is that although Catholicism constitutes the largest religious and cultural group in the United States, Catholicism currently enjoys almost no positive presence in the American fine arts, not in literature, music, sculpture, or painting. The situation not only represents a demographic paradox, it also marks a major historical change, and impoverishment, indeed even a disfigurement for Catholicism, which has for two millennia played a hugely formative and inspirational role in the arts.
1: I don't think it's the church's fault, but you go ahead. That's
0: written by Mr I'm sorry, Doctor John Joya Don- hold on a minute. I gotta get this name pronounced <laughs> Dana Joya. And uh let me do a little brief bio here. Uh, Dr. John Joya is a tutor Dana Get rid of this. Your, You've got my wrong paperwork up here. That's your last guest. See, I need a shredder. <laughs> All right. Dana Joya, I apologize, is a poet critic and profession or professor of poetry at the Public Culture at the University of Southern California. And from 2003 to 2009, he served as the chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts, and at the NAA, he led a national program for the importance of reading, with hugely influential studies such as reading at risk and to read or not to read, a question of national importance. These programs led to the creation of the Big Read, the largest literary reading program in the history of the federal government, and we welcome to the program, let me get this right, Dr. Dana Joya. Doctor, are you with us?
3: Yeah, don't call me doctor. Call me Dana okay, or John, then. whatever's easier. John, John. Well, they got. <laughs> the, I, I got well, our last
1: guest was John Goyette, and he's. And I all still have the paperwork with, here with Dana Goya. Anyway, uh, all
0: right, yes, uh, let's get started. I read the opening of a a brilliant piece on first things, and um, I, I guess we need to place this in the current context of of so much of the arts in, in America. But let's start. First off, a lot of people would would wonder, why is literature so important to a healthy culture?
1: And arts.
3: Well, that's a really good question, because I think nowadays you have to answer it. I think it used to be taken for granted. But let me just say something very, very simple. Literature matters because literature gives us the stories, the poems, the songs, even the images by which we understand the world and we explain it to each other. If you're telling... You know, I bad thought science story. did that. If you're telling mendacious stories. Uh, you hurt the culture.
0: I agree, but but so well, much of the modern modern mind is composed of of, of of science. Doesn't science tell us more about the ways of the world than literature?
3: Well, there are different ways of understanding and representing the worlds. You know, science is one of them. But frankly, most people don't understand science. You know, one year science will say do this for your health. Two years later, they'll say, don't do this for the health. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> science, <Nailed> science. It. <laughs> most people learn uh, and understand the world through stories, through narratives. And science truly really doesn't give us narratives. It gives us facts. It gives us theories parading as facts. And, you know, and consequently, if we're really going to to sort of make sense of our lives will make sense of it in terms of, of stories. Great politicians knew this, and, and if I you know, may invoke his name, Jesus knew this. When Jesus you know, spoke you know, to people, he didn't give them theology. Uh, he told them parables. He gave them poems, like the Beatitudes. He made uh, you know, you know, basically little aphorisms. You know, literature, uh, because it gives us reality in terms that we can comprehend and remember, is actually much more powerful than science in terms of culture.
1: I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I
3: mean, well, sure. yeah, and when and when the church gives up its ability to speak to people, you know, through through literature, through music, through paintings, through sculpture, through architecture, frankly, all you've got left is uh, is the professor of theology and the parish priest.
1: <laughs> well, you know. Wait a minute now. The the the, the church. I'm with him on that one. Uh, you, uh, you, but but you're talking about, and by the way, this is Vince Heiser. I'm I'm the uh, co-pilot here. Um, you're talking about the 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 church as doing these things. But isn't it really the Catholics in the streets, in the in the in the in the church that that put together these programs and these art events and the. Uh, And uh, even all through history, I mean, we as Catholics do it. The Church doesn't particularly
3: do it. Yeah, it's both. It's both. But you're absolutely right. Um, The people that are going to change it and the people who, in a sense, have backed away are the laity. Um, I think if, 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 if Catholic writers, you know, wait... You know, for the for the bishops to give us the go-ahead. Oh my gosh! We'll be waiting a long time. <laughs> they you know? sure will. But 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 look, we <laughs> and even can... then they'll put. You know, you know they'll they won't give us the imprimatur. No, I mean no, Catholics. No, have, you know, the C- Catholics have to take responsibility uh, for their own culture and their own faith.
1: Amen. And especially Agreed. Catholic okay.
3: artists, Catholic intellectuals, who have been so busy trying to assimilate into a secular culture, which frankly dislikes them.
0: Yes, uh, you know i, I mean
3: it's I like know you know uh, i don't blame an atheist for hating catholics i mean it's it's been going on since the french revolution i don't expect any different right uh, uh I you know do. what what i criticize is uh you know you know you know you know catholics who who try to appease them by pretending to be other than they really are oh ouch
1: <laughs> you're so right
3: uh, okay but let, but let
0: me let me let me be uh the, the critic here Have, haven't we well, I think maybe you are saying this, but haven't we done this? Or, I mean, there's a certain um, distance that, especially what I'll call faithful or, or more serious Catholics, m- many in my audience uh, have poo-pooed the arts, and uh, well, we don't, we're not going to be part of that. And,
1: uh, that's not, and true. and that's too
0: much part of the modern culture, and but, we're not part of the culture, and we put a fence up, and and we're the we're the faithful Christians here in the catacombs, and the world can go to. Uh, the well, world can go to heck. Is isn't part of that attitude? Hell is <laughs> a destination. W- what has fed? Uh, well, not no, I, in, not I, in I, the context I'm I,
3: yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, uh, up to a point. Um, you know, and certainly the non-intellectual Catholics. And and you know, I have to say that you know, I, I would rather trust my fate to a non-intellectual than to an intellectual. So that's this is not a you know, oh, a, I, a, I totally a, agree. A put down a put down in my book. Right, uh, but. I think the non-intellectual you know, Christians have largely felt, well, you know, this culture is alien, I'm going to back away from it. But the fact is, but then when you talk to them and say, well, I don't like the movies my, you know, my kids are watching, I don't like the music my kids are listening to, I don't like the books my kids are reading to, when we went to a museum I found it terrible. So they complain about the culture all the time and yet they don't take any actions to transform it.
1: See, there's no. my objection right there. I object.
0: Oh, you're too, per- too personal. We know your efforts. <laughs> no, We're not talking about and, vents but on I, the...
1: It's, it's just a, it, it, it is difficult, and when you have things that happen in the culture, like, like what happens on regular tv regularly nowadays and and the things even the national endowment has gone through this this thing where some really raunchy art is funded by the national endowment um, there is a recoiling from things that are ugly and horrible um, now but i i agree that there needs to be much more of a proactive approach among catholics let's get engaged right well but, no, I, but I, not- I
3: don't blame i don't blame people for being you know but you know by the way those things of the NEA didn't happen during my walk. We, we before, yes, <laughs> we, we met, there's <laughs> but, a huge know, disclaimer. I, I was going I to Google it before I went there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't blame, uh, you know, people for being suspicious, and, and it's it's perfectly fine if the rank and file Catholic doesn't want to do anything. But Catholic artists and intellectuals. They know what I'm talking about. I've gotten hundreds of letters and emails and packages, you know, since I wrote this piece. You know, they feel alienated from their culture, but they feel powerless about changing it. But if you look at simply the intellectual and artistic talent that we have in the Catholic Church, this is one quarter of the U.S. population. Uh, this is a billion people worldwide.
0: It is. It,
3: it, yeah, we're, we're, we're idiots if we, if we think we don't have the... The talent and the energy and the stamina oh. to change it, its we have to change our attitudes.
0: We, we do have to change our attitudes, and let me point, point to a problem that I know is, is not only a problem in our own diocese, <laughs> but a, across, across the country, because um, I just know this. It, one, of the, one of the first things to go in a Catholic K-12 curriculum are the arts. Uh, we, we have a lot of parents who are demanding high ACT, score, high ACT scores where, you know, Duke Ellington is not a question on the ACT exam. And so we have a lot of uh, K-12 through 12 schools who have simply abandoned the arts. I uh, don't, I don't oh, know that that's true. Oh, I know true. this is true well, for uh, a fact. I know uh, people that... Well, I, well yeah,
3: you're, you're, uh, you're right, although I think that's a national trend across all schools. But it could be, nothing. you know, one of the ways in which Catholic schools announce, you know, their difference and, in, in a sense, their superiority, you know, uh, you know versus state schools.
1: You know, and but,
3: Easter, Easter. But, you know, in terms of education, if you take the arts out of education, uh, you are losing one of the most powerful ways in which you uh, develop, you know, someone's imagination, their creativity, also develop their mind in terms of understanding their own future. You uh, know, we we get this from stories. Stories by allowing us to lead imaginary lives, uh, expand our sense of what the possibilities of life are.
0: Totally agree. That is
3: why bad stories, corrupt stories, cheap stories, vulgar stories, uh, you know, are like are like feeding your imagination, your mind, your will with junk food.
1: Okay. Yeah.
3: Sold. But, uh, and the thing is that. If you go, one of the points I make in my article is that if you go back 60 years ago, when there were fewer Catholics, they were less well educated, they were poorer, they were more isolated. They had this tremendous uh, cultural explosion: Flannery O'Connor, Walker Percy, Ann Porter, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, yep. uh, Anthony Burgess, Evelyn Waugh. I mean, you know, if you you could not have talked about literature in English in 1950 without saying. Boy, there's sure a lot of Catholics that are great writers, uh, you know. And we've we've we were at the center of the culture. Now, I'm not saying that you know that uh, you turn on the TV and you only see you know Catholic films. You pick up a you know go to the bookstore only Catholic books. No, what I'm saying is that even if you're an atheist, even if you hate the Catholic Church, I think you have to admit a culture is healthier when you have different uh, you know, parts of the population. Speaking to you know each other where culture is a is a dialogue you know between different points of view, and we have lost the point of view of the largest religious denomination in the U.S., which is also the largest cultural uh, minority in the United States, i.e., Roman Catholics.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree, and and I would only add that uh, the abandonment of arts, and again, I don't I don't see this as much in the public schools, and I think someone might make a. A strong case for uh, funding, national funding, federal funding of the arts because I, I do oh, see it. Gosh, oh, stop! I, I cannot I, believe. Okay, it. <laughs> I know it's. But my point is, um, I, I think we have a greater tendency to adopt this attitude of modernism and empiricism when we abandon the arts, and it and it seals it, off it's the, the soul. Federal, you know, the true, the good, and you're the beautiful. are choking off
1: Catholic education. We're choking off beauty. By taxes. And and federal funding of a secular education. Okay, I know. I We're agree go with you a, that the, the part of the, the promoting, main point, part of promoting the common good, is to promote the stick arts. The main point, as a please. tool of virtue. Okay, that's fine. No objection to that. But but you see budget problems in Catholic schools, and I disagree with you that all most or mo- most Catholic schools are abandoning. the they arts because they don't think yep. they
3: are. But, but, let, let's put the, the federal funding thing to one Yes, side. thank you. I you should have you. never said that because we that we're you know, diverted. I'll Vince. Can you, you know, Who is the one that wants I, – I can't keep the two of you straight.
0: I'm Mike. I'm Vince. He's the cranky <laughs> one. Yeah. You know,
3: you know, Vince, I think you're the one that – Vince, you and I actually agree in that you know, what we should do should not be funded by the federal government. Uh, and wow. one of the things we should do is cultivate and champion uh, the arts. I mean, I can't tell you how many people who have become Catholics, who were raised atheist or were sort of fallen away Protestants, they never tell me. They never tell me, well, I was sitting down with somebody and they gave me the arguments for divine generation and <laughs> divine spiration. And I said, my golly, I'm going to be a Catholic. The, sto- <laughs> the story I hear again and again is, you know, I was sitting and I heard uh, a mass by Mozart. Yep. And the music was so transcendent. It made me understand I was foolish to deny to d- to deny what is out there, mm-hmm. uh, or I read you know uh, you know a book by you know Walker Percy a book by Evil and Wall, and I realized that my life was going in the same way, and I had this sense of the supernatural only then you know do they go and, and they get instruction but the turning when you lose the arts, you lose one of the most powerful ways in which god 's voice is heard in the world and um you know, and, and we can spend all day whether you know, you know, federal funding. Uh, okay, funding l- first, of
0: let me let me Paul, let me stop you. I revoke the federal funding thing. <laughs> yeah, Here, the point I was trying to make right. is, for whatever reason, the public schools, at least from where I'm coming from, they seem to get the yeah, importance of the arts in a way down. that Catholics should and don't. That's that was the point. Yeah. So I, I revoke. Well, you know,
3: I, yeah. I don't know about your guys' life stories, but you know, I come from poor people. I come from immigrant people. I think most Catholics I know, you, you know, if you go back two generations, you're in you know poverty. My, my, my and family's
1: speaking... from Germantown, so what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: exactly. You know, I mean, I never knew a grandparent growing up who, who didn't who spoke English or didn't speak English with an accent. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the cultural biases Catholics have come from being you know sort of working class, poor immigrants. Um, and what scares me is that when the kids go to college and graduate school, they leave the church. They they try to assimilate, and it's because in some ways they don't feel an intellectual environment, an artistic environment, you know, in the church. And we you know we need uh, we need every type of humanity in the church because it is the universal church, is it not?
1: Yep. I have two questions for you. First. Yep. On Easter Sunday, in 1999, Pope John Paul II issued a letter to artists. Brilliant letter. Did did it have any impact, as far as you can tell?
3: Well, the answer is all. You know, the you know the John Paul and I think even Benedict had these letters to artists. He had, you know, in some cases even a, a convening of the artists. It created a. A big conversation initially among people, but then there was no follow up. No follow up from Rome, and certainly no follow up whatsoever. Right. Which, uh, you know, at a diocesan. I mean, my, my, you know, my bishop would, you know, if you put, you know, you know, ranked them by priority, the arts would be about number 10,001. That's right. Right.
1: Well, that brings me to my second question. As a a Catholic and sometimes an activist in this community here, (laughs) um, what is to be done as a practical matter? How can I, with or without the support of the diocese, and frankly, I think that wouldn't be hard to come by, um, what can I do to promote uh, the arts and literature and, and, and these kinds of things from a Catholic point of view?
3: I think it'll be easy, and it won't even cost you any money. You know, first of all, when you're talking about Catholicism on your show and, and uh, you know, in, in your life, make the arts one of the things that you talk about. Bring it from a, to, up to a level of consciousness, because just doing that, you know, makes people think about it, gives them ideas. Secondly, in of the terms, things that you're doing, occasionally bring forward, a, you know, a great Catholic book, a great Catholic painting. People will... Are, you know, will read a book they hear about. They'll hear, they'll go to search out a piece of music that they hear about. You know, if you talk about Flannery O'Connor, I guarantee you, uh, you know, in the next weeks, you know, some people will search out stories by Flannery O'Connor or Evil, Evil and Wall. Yeah. So... We can, you know, as, as public intellectuals, which uh, the three of us are, uh, even though, you know, I think Vince doesn't <laughs> want to pretend otherwise.
1: I, uh, I, I want to put that down in the annals of WLCR <laughs> that someone said that. I've been called a lot of things, but now, okay, Very we're going to add yeah. that to the list. You
3: know, it's our, you know, one of our job is to articulate the issues that are really important, you know, for, you know, for things. And I think that we need Catholics and Catholics in the media need to talk – you know about the arts. Now we can always talk about how bad the music at Mass is, but we could take a more positive <laughs> thing by celebrating some great Catholic writers. Let me give you one great Catholic writer people don't even think about, but he's actually in the culture. J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien. Nowhere in Tolkien's novels does the word Christianity or thank Catholic. you.
0: I was just going to get into that. Dang it! <laughs> but, you took away my. Yeah. Go ahead. But, sorry.
3: You know, but 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 you know what you see in there. These are stories of an individual who is pushed into the most difficult kind of moral dilemma involving personal danger, personal sacrifice, against overwhelming odds. And what he does is a virtuous and heroic struggle, uh, which in a sense uh, redeems himself, redeems other, you know, strengthens his virtue. These are the kind of stories in our culture uh, that I think make the culture better rather than worse, you know, unlike you know, any other number of, you know, of, of books we might mention.
0: I agree, and I, I want to launch off on on a, a theme there that's been a, a kind of a pet peeve of mine. And I think Christians and Catholics, and I think Protestants are a little more worse at the or more problematic here than than Catholics in general. But we. How do we shy? In other words, when you say Catholic literature, you're not necessarily talking about someone sitting down and talking about the, uh, you know, the, the Nativity or or the Redemption. Uh, you're talking about literature that is infused with a Catholic perspective on life that's not necessarily uh, overtly Catholic. Well, I don't mind overtly Catholic, but you know, for example, uh, it's not proselytizing. One of the great movies of the last several years, to me, that was I think thoroughly Catholic was Grand Torino. But no one set out to say, "Okay, we're going to write a Catholic novel." It was turned into a.
3: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, there's two kinds. I should have defined it, but uh, I do in the article. I define it, but you know, there's. I mean, it's not. I'm not talking about devotional writing, theological writing, the lives of saints. I'm talking about novels, poems, memoirs, sh- uh, short stories, mm-hmm. plays. You know, which uh, reflect a Catholic. Vision of life, a Catholic vision of more of, of morality, of redemption. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they have, you know, an overt religious element, but you know, often they do not. I mean, as in Tolkien, Tolkien, never, you know, is writing in a fantasy world. It's, it, there's no Christianity in it, but it's Catholic, you know, to the tips of its fingers.
1: Right. Where, where does a Catholic these days get time to read that sort of stuff? Oh, it's great stuff! You've got to read the Tolkien stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, most of us are so busy with video games. Okay, <laughs> I know
3: that. Well, you answered the question. <laughs> you know, I mean, the average. I mean, I don't know if you've seen USC where I teach. Uh, USC Marshall School of Business did a study uh, this year about how much time do Americans now spend looking at screens? Oh, wow!
1: And the answer is
3: fourteen and a half. Hours a day. So, you know, so, that's ridiculous. I mean, I do not even know how they have minute. time, you know, that's a, that's to uh, a, take a shower, you know, and, and 14 and hours a day. Then. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, but that's and, a I mean, commentary. It's worse I'm... than you ever thought. And and, and yeah. I said that can't be true. But then I walk around campus and people are walking, looking at screens as they're eating lunch. They're looking at screens. Yes, of course. But you'll have, you'll have friends. You know, having lunch together, all looking at individual screens. Hold on, I mean, it, hold on. I got an email. Wait, <laughs>
1: he's, he's looking at his email. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Okay, I object. Okay, and I object because what you're t- what you're seeing is a changing of technology. But what what matters is what's on those screens. If I'm looking at my email all day, I'm doing something completely different than if I have my Nook or my Kindle out and I'm reading Dante's Inferno my wife or reads a lot Paradiso, on that. whatever. Uh, the transition from paper to screens isn't automatically a bad. Thing. You're being very charitable. Events. Not that I'm particularly fond of it because I like paper and
3: not screens. But um, yeah, there's another well, study
1: that says that blue screen that you stare at all day cha- changes your sleep patterns to the to the to your detriment. So, oh, wow. well,
3: you know, it's uh, I mean, part of the screens they're staring at are also TV screens and video game screens. But right. well, um, the when you actually quiz people, you know, to do, do surveys of how much of this of the doing is actually reading. It's t- minuscule. I mean, in the case of of high school students, it's a you know you're talking about fifteen twenty minutes a day. Yeah, uh,
1: and that's just reading the directions for their phones.
3: <laughs> well, that's probably it. exactly. You're know, reading yeah. the you know so, it, it so with it a is, booklet. It is, I don't know.
1: What, yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. it, it, it is. Uh, I mean, we're enthralled by entertainment, and the entertainment the c- culture we've created is kind of commercial entertainment that more or less aims at. You know, the the weakest parts of us. It speaks to what is worst in us.
1: Okay, um, yeah, you, you got. We're down to two and a half minutes or so. Um, give a quick commentary on Shakespeare. H- how does that impact the culture? Because there's a lot of that, a lot of stuff in Shakespeare that seems fairly
3: negative. Well, you know, Shakespeare is, I think, rightly generally assumed the greatest writer uh, in the English language, and often assumed the greatest writer in the world. And he probably also was Catholic, probably a recusant, you know, a secret Catholic. But whether or not he was doesn't matter. He told stories of life and death importance in which people, you know, face dilemmas uh, and overcome them, either comically or struggle against them tragically, which shows, you know, why it is great uh, to be human, why it is great to be alive.
1: Somewhat on the raucous side at times, no?
3: Yeah. Uh,
1: Any good Catholic should be.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: Mm. You heard it first on the Mike Janicek show. <laughs> Great. I'll tell my pastor that.
0: Uh, All right, Dr. Joya, how do we get you back as the chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts? I think that's probably the most important question we ought to be asking right now. You, yeah, you, kicking, and
3: sc- kicking and screaming. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in Washington for eight years. We, we had nothing but success, but, it, you know— uh, I I am back to being a writer, which is what I think God intended me to be. Nice.
0: Well, you are a national treasure, sir. Thank you so much for joining nice us. And shot. uh I, I think we are going to do this on the Mike Janisek show. We need to have like an arts section every I don't know, first Thursday well, we, of the month. Or, we promote it when we can get it. We Mike. do, you but, know uh, that. but it's important and uh we're going to have you back on the program sometime to, to break out. So maybe you know just focus on, I don't know, music, literature, poetry. Poetry is a blind spot for me. I'm going to have to yep. deal with
3: that. but uh, if, if you if you ask me, I'd love to do it because you guys are a lot of fun.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll tell you the inside secret maybe off the air. <laughs> all
3: right, Dr.
0: Okay. Dana, Joya, thank you very much, and uh, have a very Merry Christmas, and uh, thank you for all the great work you've done.
3: And Merry Christmas to you guys. You too. Bye-bye. God bless you.
0: All right, Vance. There it is. Uh, I think he's right. And if you read the first chapter of G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, where he talks about the madman, yeah, uh-huh. it's really centered on the nature of beauty and arts and reaching a man through his heart. And we have seeded the culture in this area. And I'm going to disagree with you. And I'm no, going to go. I, I don't, I don't, no, no. I'm just saying him. that part of the problem with the K through 12 is that the arts tend to get short. Well, but. The, I always say thrift, but I short, think it's shrift.
1: Thrift. Shrift, yeah. Okay. So, All right. Uh, well, we'll deal with anyway. that. Nice show, Mike. Thank you very much. Merry
0: Christmas, everybody. Have a great week. Have a good and holy week. It's still Advent. That's good. So right. that's good. Go to Confession. Go to Confession. And we'll see you next week. No, actually, are we going to do next week's show? to you. I think we are. We'll see you next week, Thursday, on the Mike Janisnik Show. Thanks for being with me. Have a great week. Bye-bye.